As Ron mentioned, we are fast approaching the end of another calendar year. And that is a time where we at times look both ways, I suppose. Sometimes we look back and also we look forward to the coming year. In many situations, when people look back, what do they think about? They may think about regrets. And regrets can be significant or perhaps seemingly insignificant. It depends upon what one is thinking about in terms of regretting. You know, I will probably, I will probably die, I will probably die without ever going to Disney World. Kathy, I know that's, and the Sorellos, I know that, uh, that's a regret you will not have. But that regret will not trouble me. And that's nothing against Disney World or people who go there. Wonderful. I may never see the inside of Yankee Stadium or any number of places, probably never will, and I will not regret that, will not regret it. But there are regrets, obviously, that, that are far more significant, regrets about which we do not want to think or dwell upon because we have done something about those regrets. And as we approach the end of a year, that's what I want us to think about this morning. Someone has said that most Christians find themselves living between the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Think about that statement. If that is true, that most who are truly Christians find themselves living between the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow, that is totally opposed to the will of God, isn't it? That's not what God wants. God does not want us to live between the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. In fact, the true believer is to forget the past and press on without anxiety. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 3, 13 and 14? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and Pressing forward or reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, that old hymn reminds us. But who among us who has lived very long does not have to deal with regrets? And even in this past year, as this year is about to come to a close, there are no doubt things that we can think about that might be characterized as regrets. For a few minutes, I'd like for us to think about some Bible characters. Some Bible characters who experienced very deep regret about their actions. And this is the kind of regret about which we need to be concerned, spiritual regrets. Adam and Eve, we talked about them in the Bible class this morning obviously deeply regretted what they had done in eating of the forbidden fruit and the consequences that came as a result. Even one of their own children ultimately killing another one of their children, Cain killing his brother Abel. 
What about the people of Noah's time? When the rains came, the indication being they had never seen that before, but when they saw that which Noah had been telling them was coming for about a hundred years or so, it had to have filled their hearts with regret. What about Lot? Abraham's nephew in Genesis 13, as Abraham said to him, this land won't hold all of our cattle and all of our workers, so you just choose whatever you want and I'll take what is left. What a wonderful attitude. And Lot chose the well-watered plain of the Jordan and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Do you think that he ever had any regrets about that decision? Do you think any regret entered his mind when his wife, as they were leaving that city, having been warned to do so, looked back and turned to a pillar of salt? What about Israel? After their deliverance, the greatest deliverance before the deliverance at Calvary, as they were delivered from Egyptian bondage and as their very eyes saw their enemies dead on the seashore, washed up after the waters had come together again, that God through Moses had parted for them to be delivered. And they quickly forgot all of that. And at Kadesh Barnea, when the twelve spies came back and only two of them said, we can do this, they believed the report of the ten spies and they rebelled and they quickly regretted it. But their regret, in their case, came too late because there was a consequence for their unfaithfulness that had to be suffered. What was it? Forty years of wandering where every male 20 years old and above able to go to war died before the second generation was able to go into the promised land. What about the man after God's own heart? David. What about his sin with Bathsheba? Do we have to wonder whether or not he experienced any deep regret after he had done what he did in taking her to himself and then actually in arranging for her husband to be killed on the battlefield so that he could have her? The kind of regret he experienced is clearly expressed in that penitential psalm, Psalm 51, especially at verse 3 where he writes, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That's regret. And what about Judas Iscariot? Again, we don't have to speculate about whether or not he regretted what he had done in betraying the Lord. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 1, reminds us of that. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. We'll talk more about that incident in relation to another use of the word regret a little bit later on in the lesson. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Do you think they had any regret? How about eternal regret? In Acts chapter 5, when they sought to deceive 
the Lord's people. And to purport that the money they were giving was all the proceeds from the land they had sold, when in fact it was not, and yet they said it was. And they lied to God, and lied to the Holy Spirit, as Paul, as Peter also reminded them, and they were struck dead. What about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? Do you think that even after explaining that he had kept the law from his youth up and even expressing that wonderful attitude, what do I still lack? What do I lack yet? And the Lord told him to sell all that he had and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And he went away. Sorrowful. Did he ever regret that decision? How about the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who said, I know what I'm going to do to be able to take care of my bumper crop. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And he was told, you fool, this night, this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. And whose will these things be that you, in your mind, have provided? What about Demas, who forsook Paul? And Paul expressed it in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10 having loved this present world. What about Felix in Acts 24, who said, Go your way, and when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Never did, as far as we know. The convenient time never came. Any doubts about the regret that Felix had? And what about Agrippa in Acts 26? Almost, he said to Paul, you persuade me to become a Christian. Words from which we get that Old invitation hymn we sing regularly, almost persuaded, almost, but lost. We need to be able to deal with this kind of regret. And there is but one way to do that. And Peter and Paul provide us with beautiful examples of how to deal with regret and to basically have no regret living. And the answer to regret is repentance. The answer to regret of the type about which we are speaking, spiritual regret, the answer, thanks be to God, is repentance. And God has given us that means of entering into and maintaining no regret living that will ultimately lead to no regret dying. Peter denied the Lord. Three times he denied the Lord. But he repented. Paul persecuted the cause of Christ, believed with all of his heart that he was doing God's will as he persecuted the church. And yet, when confronted with his sin though he was as sincere as any man who's ever walked the earth that's purely human, he was wrong. But repentance eliminated regret. Did he forget what he had done? No, he mentions it more than once. But he mentions it not with regret that is a lingering regret. He mentions it where regret because of repentance had led to restoration. And restoration had led to relief. And that's what God 
has made possible for all of his creation. And how thankful we ought to be that he has. But you see, repentance requires obedience. That's what repentance involves. Repentance is not simply saying, I am so sorry. I regret so very deeply what I have done. It requires something beyond that godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 makes that abundantly clear. As Paul writes, for godly sorrow leads to repentance, as the New King James renders it. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And repentance involves a change of mind that leads to a change of life. In other words, repentance requires obedience. And obedience is the test of genuine devotion to God. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. You remember what, what Samuel said to King Saul, the first king of the United Kingdom, after Saul had disobeyed the Lord and not completely destroying the Amalekites. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You see, Saul said, we brought back some of these things so that we could sacrifice them to God. We've done something good with these things. What had God told them to do? Destroy everything. And so the justification was, but yes, but what we spared, and then he said the people made me do it anyway, in effect, they influenced me. But what we have done with these things is we have sacrificed these things to the Lord. And Samuel's response was, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in what? Obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Obedience is the key. A person cannot go wrong, can never go wrong if he obeys God. And that obedience needs to be instant. When God speaks, God is right. And we understand that, or we should. There's no need to consider the options. There's no need to weigh the alternatives. There are no options. There are no alternatives. If God speaks through his word, and he does, and he does so clearly, and he does, it's time to act. It's time to act. And that obedience must be complete. Saul's obedience as the king of Israel was not complete. He partially obeyed, one could say. And even in his disobedience, what he spared, he used for a good cause. It was sacrifice to God. But that was not complete obedience. The call to obedience that comes through the word of God is a call to thorough obedience, not just partial obedience. It's not like the little boy who confessed to the farmer that he had stolen a rope out of his barn, but he failed to add that there was a cow on the other end of the rope. That's not complete obedience. Or the man who was conscience-stricken and sent some money along with a note to the IRS. The note said, I have cheated on my taxes, and I hope that by sending in this money, it will ease my conscience. 
But if it doesn't, I'll send the rest in later. <laughs> That's partial obedience. The Lord requires complete obedience, and true obedience demands full compliance with God's direction. And thanks be to God, we have that direction fully set forth for us in the all-sufficient, all-powerful Word of God. But there's something else, and that is obedience requires the proper attitude. Attitude is so important. We have sung just now, amazing love. Amazing love. God's amazing love. God's amazing grace is included in that hymn as well. And amazing is really an understatement, isn't it? But it's about the best we can do to describe it. Awesome. Amazing. Really incomprehensible. But what should that provoke man to do? What should that evoke from within man? A response that is a loving response in return. We love him because he first loved us, John writes in 1 John 4, 19. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's what we're reminded of back in 1 Samuel with the choosing of David to succeed Saul. God said to Samuel, I don't see things the way man sees things. Oh, that doesn't mean that what we do is not important. What we do is very important. But why we do it, why we do it is so crucial. If you love me, again, John 14, 15, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Christian living is complete and heartfelt obedience. And it will never cause us, if we live that kind of life, to grieve over missed opportunities because we're going to take advantage of them. And if regret does come, we can quickly relieve that regret through repentance and everything that's involved in it. To emphasize everything that is involved in it, the Lord gave us a very significant parable with which I would like to close our study today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 28, the Lord gives this parable. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom before you. And then he goes on to explain how John had come to some of these Jews and they had rejected him, but the tax collectors and harlots believed him, verse 32, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. That word relents, the same word back in verse 29, regret. 
And it is most properly translated, as the New King James translates it, as regret. Do you know where else we find that word? Matthew 27, a passage we alluded to and read a little while ago. Then Judas, verse 3, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. Same thing. He was regretful. He regretted it. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and what? Repented of what he had done. No. Could he have done so? Yes. Could he have turned regret into restoration and relief? Yes. But instead, he went out and hanged himself. And in Matthew 21, in this parable of Jesus, we find exactly what regret should lead us to do. Oh yes, the man came to his sons and one immediately said, I will not. But afterwards, he what? He regretted it and what? And went. There's the repentance involving his obedience. The other one said, I will, but he did not go. He said, I will do it, but he didn't obey. Which one did the will of the Father, Jesus asked? And the answer is obvious. The one who went. The one who truly repented. Tragically, Judas regretted, and his regret ended in his dying. For us, our regret doesn't have to end in our death with regrets, because thanks be to God, we can have regret-free living, as we said earlier, that leads to regret-free dying. How so? By taking care of those regrets, serious spiritual regrets, in the only way that God has given us to do so, and thanks be to God that he has, and that is by truly repenting. As we draw near to the end of another year, how does that year end for you? No regret living, continuing in the year to come, because you take care of anything that is a violation of the will of God by truly repenting, by claiming the blood of Christ as a child of His, and by praying for forgiveness, and by continuing your walk in the light? Hopefully so, because that's how to continually have no regret living. But if this year is ending with regrets unresolved, because repentance has not been forthcoming. We plead with you to do that. I'm not saying that you necessarily need to repent of anything publicly. That would depend upon the nature of the regret. What caused the regret? If sin caused the regret and the sin was public, then yes, it does need to be taken care of publicly. But if not, then it shouldn't be taken care of that way. But the point is, God has blessed his children with the ability to live with no regrets. 
and to die with none. And oh, how thankful we ought to be that he has made that provision. If you've never entered into covenant relationship, you should regret that. And you should allow that regret, having never obeyed the gospel, to move you to not only repent, but prior to that repentance to believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to act upon that faith by repenting, changing your mind, changing your life, confessing sweetly the name of Christ, and then being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. You'll never regret that. Never regret going down into that watery grave with a full faith, having truly repented, having sweetly confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And when you rise from that watery grave as a new creature in Christ, you rise to walk in no regret living as you continue your obedient walk and as you take care quickly of any regrets because you will sin, but through the means God has provided, you can get relief from those regrets and ultimately die with none. What a blessing to be a Christian. If you're not, we plead with you to become one this very hour. And if you are, but you know that you're not a faithful child of God, having become a Christian, and need to come home publicly to your first love, we plead with you to do that. As we said earlier, though, if regrets that are unresolved can be taken care of between you and your God, do it that way. It's the way it should be done. So that we begin a new year with no regrets, looking forward to a great year together in the Lord's work. As we stand to sing, will you come?